go. Good evening, my name is Bill and I'm an alcoholic. Good to be here, good to be sober. Um, I'd like to welcome the newcomers and congratulations to all the chip takers and uh, birthday people. Congratulations, Scott, wherever you are. My buddy and Scott and I go to uh, a meeting at Jesse's dad's house on Wednesday night down in uh, down Laguna Beach, which uh, for me is one of the mainstays of my sobriety. I it's really difficult for me actually to talk, you know, at a meeting because I've I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box. Um, <laughs> I've had three, three periods of sobriety in my life. I've had uh, seven years and decided uh, to go out and try it on again. Then I had 17 years and uh, spent a year and a half in Clonopinia, if any of you traveled there. Um, and if, you know, if nothing drastic happens over uh, the next couple of weeks, I'll be celebrating 10 years. So, uh, thank you. Yeah. I was born and raised in uh, Scotland, so that's a problem going in. Uh, my natal birthday is St. Patrick's Day. Strike two. Um, my father, uh, God bless him, uh, was uh, an extremely violent um, alcoholic policeman. Uh, and my birthday on St. Patty's Day was kind of conducive to, like, you know, let me kind of put this. It would be like, you know, the KKK's, the head of the KKK's son being born on Martin Luther King's birthday. <laughs> the early years were not easy, believe me, you know. So, um, grew up right, you know, I mean, Scotland is a, you know, it's a heavy drinking culture and they, um, I graduated with honors I, and <laughs> left a, what, what I really, the passion I had in my life was I, I wanted to be a professional violinist and the first kind of alcoholic decision or major alcoholic decision I, I had in my life was I went down to Manchester in England to uh, apply to music college down there and I didn't get in. And, but I had been accepted to the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, but that meant staying at home with the dynamic duo. And, you know, I, I kind of thought, well, no, I'm not doing it. So I joined the Merchant Marine. Uh, <laughs> that did not work out well at all, not at all. Um, so I left Glasgow and, and, and drank, you know, I mean, we all drank, you know, but there was, there was no real consequences in my drinking until, until I hit London. 
I got down to London in, God, my was living in London. Got down to London probably in the early 70s, and it was jumping. It was, I mean, it was a great place to live. And a couple of years into living in London, I was involved in, uh, I was involved in a fatal car crash that uh, my buddy, uh, Sandy McLean, was driving the car, and they, uh, and we hit a guy uh, on a crosswalk going down. What happened was we were going down the road in Shepherd's Bush, if any of you are familiar with London. It's a big long road and it comes down in a dip and then it comes back up. And right at the top there's a crosswalk. So we come down. What we were doing was that the licensing laws in London at that time was that where we were living in Council Rise, the pubs closed at 10.30. But if you could get down to Hammersmith, you could drink for another half an hour. So we were flying. I mean, we, were, we were on a mission here. So we come down the hill and we saw this guy walk across the crosswalk. What we didn't see when we come down and we were coming up, the guy was drunk, fortunately, but he turned round and he came back and we hit him straight on. And um, we didn't get to the pub. You know, it was, I mean, it was, <laughs> that was the tragedy of that night for me, you know, I thought, fuck, you know, we got to fucking hang around here with this guy, you know, but, uh, so anyway, um, I, uh, I get into a lot of trouble in London drinking, I, and my dad, my dad was still on the cops in Glasgow, and I get bust for drunken driving in London. And uh, the old man said to me, hey, if you go to court, you're going to go away for a year because there was no, the, the, the chief constable and the, the, London split up into two cities, the city of Westminster and the city of London. And if you get caught drunk driving in the city of London, you're going away for a year. It doesn't matter. If you tell me Cochrane is your life, it doesn't matter. You're going away. So I thought to myself, nah, I don't think I really want to do that. So. I was working for a company in London, and um, I got on the phone, we were just hammered, just absolutely hammered. I got on the phone to this company in London, and um, called up San Francisco, there's an office in San Francisco, there was no answer, oh no, we called up New York first, there was no answer there, thank God. I called up San Francisco, there was no answer there. Called up LA and this guy called Dave Garrell got on the phone and said yada yada yada. I said, if you can be out here in two weeks, you got a job, right? Two weeks later, I'm hammered in Manhattan Beach. Just fucking loving life, but just, you know, <laughs> drunk, drunk as a skunk in, the, in, the, in Manhattan. Now I've got two week visitors visa going on here, by the way. So if we get any illegals, I'm with you, you know. <laughs> I, saw, I know your pain, you know. So um, I just kind of bullshitted my way around this and I got the, being illegal is tough, you know. Even back then, in those days, it was tough because there was a lot of questions you wanted to ask, but, you know, I thought, am I going to kind of, you know, screw myself up here, you know, getting a bank account, getting a, getting a social security number was very difficult. Uh, but, uh, you know, just chatted up one of the birds that walked in the office and 
find out that one of the guys in the shipping department had died a couple of weeks ago, so, you know. <laughs> fucking Jose. <laughs> you know. I think I paid a lot of money into that guy's social security job. You know that? For seven years, Jose Cervantes' family are going, fuck, this is great, you know? Anyway, so, I mean, I, I, I get kind of ambushed into Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I, was, a, I was dating a girl a, in, uh, in the South Bay, and her mom and dad were on the program. And uh, Diane kind of hinted maybe that I might have a drinking problem. And her dad was absolutely sure that I had a drinking problem. <laughs> uh, so um, I get introduced to the program Alcoholics Anonymous in the South Bay. And I was fantastically fortunate because my first sponsor was a guy called Alex Fagney, Scottish guy, you know. So I, Alex took me down to uh, some meetings down in the South Bay. But it, it just didn't feel right, you know. I, you know, I walked into these rooms, and, and if you're new here, I, you know, I feel your pain. You know, I really do, you know. Because my first impression of Alcoholics Anonymous was getting greeted at the door by the guy that was covered in tattoos, you know, nicotine stains up to his elbow, you know, one tooth with a fucking cavity in it, you know, <laughs> a belt that you could fry a fish on, you know, and it was, you know, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, sonny. Well, thank you very much for spitting that information on me, you know. And if you want what we have, and I said, well, you know, not really, you know, not really what I'm looking for here. So, carried on the drinking career for a little while, and then got sober, you know. And, you know, did, did well in my business for a, and then, and then my business became my higher power. Um, and... I was in a bad relationship uh, with, a, with a girl that I really, really liked, but, you know, she was the one that kind of saved me, if you want, you know, but I never scared of her. So it, it didn't really work out that well, you know. So I got, got divorced there, and, um, and I thought, well, you know, how can I, you know, like this typical, you know, chicken shit alcoholic, how can I get out of this relationship? And so I, I just came home drunk one night, and that was it. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I actually came home a few times drunk, and, you know, that was... She did give me a fair chance at it, but I was, you know... So um, stayed out for about a year, and, um, you know, took my life down to, you know, really a place that was really uncomfortable for me. That, you know, if, you, if you've been around this deal and you know, you've, you've had a bit of time and you go back out, it's not the same. You know, it's, drinking is it's just not the same. There was no that kind of sense of relief or you know, nothing. You know, so. But I decided that you know, I, you know, the, only, the only chance that I had to survive you know, was to, you know, to get sober again. And I did. You know, I got, uh, we moved to Orange County by this time. And um, got involved with a great bunch of guys down there looking at the beach. And you know, off I went. You know? But what, what I want to tell you about, about my sobriety this time around is that I do 
I do draw the, the, the distinction between not drinking, which I did reasonably successfully for, you know, for a long, a long time, and being sober. And, you know, as my wife says, you know, being sober is applying this, applying this program, getting involved in the process of being sober on a daily basis. So I'll fast forward through the 17 years because it was, well, Catherine and I met and fell in love and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And uh, <laughs> I had no, let me tell you something, I had no fucking idea why I was signing up for, you know. I mean, it was, you know, hey, honey, what are these U-Hauls uh, doing outside the house here, you know? And the baggage just kept on coming. And, <laughs> fucking. Dave's driving one, Mike's driving one. This one, this one here tortured me when I started dating her, her mother, you know. This little fucker used to take my cig I smoked at the time, she used to take my cigarettes, take the tobacco out of the end of it, put a match end in on it, right? So I'm driving to work and this fucking thing's blowing up on me, you know. Thank you. Michael, on the other hand, was far, far more gracious, you know. He just set the balcony on fire. <laughs> so, um, it's, so the last time, the last, the last debacle came a, when, and Kent, where's Kent? Kent was there. He was there for this disaster. The last debacle uh, a, took place, a, when I was, I was managing a store in, um, I was managing a Jack store in Mission Viejo, and the, the, it was 2008, so everything was just going to shit. I mean, everything was going to shit. And I, the guys that ran the company were English, which is a problem in itself. <laughs> and, um, and these guys were coming over on the Monday all right, and this is on the Friday. So I'm sitting at my desk, and I've got kind of my hand in my, you know, my head in my hands. And Fred, my finance manager, God bless him, and he walks into my office and he says, "You know what, Bill? What you're having is a panic attack." He said, "Hold on." So Fred walks out down to his office, comes back down to my office, right, and puts a clonopin right in front of me, and he goes. He goes, yeah, and I knew Fred didn't drink. I mean, Fred had been sober for a while. He goes, won't do you any harm at all, man. Just, it'll just take the edge off, right? And this is after 17 years, right? So I just took the clonopin, popped the clonopin, didn't even give a second thought, right? 20 minutes later, hey guys, how are you? No problem. You know, these fuckers will come over on Monday, fuck them, you know. Just, The one clonopin turned into six milligrams, in a very short period of time, turned into six milligrams of clonopin a day. And it, was large, it lasted for about 18 months. And of course, my beloved decided that, you know, it's time to go. You know, you've got to make a decision here. You know, you either give this shit up right now, stand up as a newcomer, or, you know, or get the hell out of Dodge, you know. And I. Uh, we kiss goodbye, and, uh, <laughs> and off I went to, you know, off to my, you know, 
18 months later, I decided this, the clonopin is, is, is a major, major, major problem in my life. So most people, I would, you know, decide to go to a hospital or, you know, go for a detox or something like that. I decided to go to Hawaii. And I, I, I went cold turkey on the clonopin in Hawaii for three weeks and was out of my mind, just out of my mind. So I came back to California, and I'll never forget this, because I, I know Catherine's a home group, it's a rebel school in Corona Del Mar, and I walked into that meeting, I, and, and Mike was taking a 10-year chip, right? Janie walked right past me, right? Which just, you know, I mean, just broke my heart, right? And Catherine was at the end, uh, the end of the room, and I sat right up at the top there, and I stood up as a newcomer, right? And I, I, I just wanted to die. I just wanted to die. And I was living on Laguna Beach at the time. These guys were still living in Corona Del Mar, and, and it's a straight, straight shot, straight down PCH to get me home. I got lost. I was that, I mean, I was that fucked up. So the next morning I thought, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with this life, you know. She's never coming back. I'm never going to get sober again. Um, you know, AA has failed me miserably. I, so I went down to my, um, I went down to the pharmacy in Laguna, good old Bouchard's. <laughs> Walked into Bouchard's and they still had my prescription on file there. Picked up 180 milligrams of clonopin and was headed back to the house to end it all. The people in the pharmacy had a slight idea that I was not quite well because I took the cap off the clonopin, threw it away, and just went like that with the, the, the bottle on the way out. So, and, and, and for you weak of heart, this is when it starts getting real ugly. Because I got home and um, I've got... I probably at this time probably got about 30 milligrams of clonopin in me and I know that somewhere around the house I've got a bottle of brandy. So I found the brandy, I got one of these big water cups and I poured a third of the bottle into that, took another, I don't know, 10, 10 of these, another 20 milligrams, slugged it down with a, uh, with a brandy and turned on the TV. Now, I don't know how God works in your life, but God saw fit for me to run into a bunch of commercials from the Home Depot, stating that this, this weekend at the Home Depot, if you're interested, we're having a special on nail guns. <laughs> this acute alcoholic mind thinks to myself, that's it. Between the brandy, the clonopin, and a nail gun, I'm out of here. I'm fucking out of here. Jump in the car. Now I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I should use bad language. You know, I'm fucked up, but I'm not that fucked up. You know, what I mean, <laughs> drive down to, drive down to the Home Depot and and find this young guy. You know, works there on the weekend. He's probably in therapy someplace. Poor little fucker. Uh, and say to him, you know, I'm looking for a gun. I'm looking for a nail gun. And the guy goes. Uh, yeah, come on. Yeah, well, let me show you what we got here. So he goes this. Time. He goes, "What are you doing?" He said, "I want something powerful enough to nail uh, wood into concrete." He goes, "I get exactly what you need over here." And I, I said, "I want it with the big nails, the two-inch nails." He goes, "Yeah, we got it for you. No problem at all." 
So I walked over there, got the gun, yada, yada, yada. I charged it, because, you know, fuck him, I ain't coming back. Uh, got in the car, get back down to the house, you know. And the, the kind of compulsive alcoholic I am is that, you know, I, if you're going to find me dead, you know, I want to be looking good, you know. So I get into the shower, you know, go you know, cleaned up, what have you, put on my favorite Steely Dan t-shirt, you know, the good jeans, what have you. Take another probably 20 milligrams of clonopin just to get the deal going here, flog those back, pour myself another a, a third of a glass of brandy, swallow that down, and now I'm ready to get to work, right? So I open up the case and yada, 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 and I'm reading the instructions, and it says, this, yeah, that, 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 please connect to compressor. Uh, what? <laughs> they didn't tell me anything about a fucking compressor. <laughs> Back in the car. <laughs> now, by this time, I'm fucked up, you know. Back in the car. Up, back up the road. Um, find this young guy. And, you know, just not fucking... I, I don't have, you know... He goes, I'm very sorry, what have you. He goes, I have this gun here, right? It's called the Passad, whatever it was, right? But it was the one that you put the CO2 cartridges in, you know? I mean, really, fucking good gun. Uh, I go, yeah, that'll, that'll be fine, you know? So same, same nails, same nails, what have you. So I'm, I'm checking it out this time on the way home. I'm driving at least BMW, so I'm shooting, I'm shooting nails under the dash in this car to make sure that things are working well. Get home. Um, I'm, I'm living in a place that's got these you know, little walkways that have got the bridges over. Well, I'm making sure that the walkways are just <laughs> shooting us all the way home, right? Get home. Um, take another handful of pills. Um, and uh, go, to, you know, go to get the deal done. I'm out of fucking nails. <laughs> I've used up all between I left the fucking place. I, I, I've got no nails left. Back in the fucking car. You know, back up to the home. By this time, I, I, I am beyond. I, and you can even describe the condition I'm in when I get there. Hit the lot sideways, fall out of the car, smash my head on the pavement. I'm covered in fucking blood. This poor kid that's helped me, he's gone. You know, he's like, he's heading down fucking aisle nine at like a hundred miles an hour, you know. I just go over to the nail stand and I'm sticking nails in my pot. Well, cut a long story short, I get home, take the rest of the pills, I finish off the rest of the brandy, and I shot myself twice in the abdomen with a nail gun. And I'm just about to pass out, and my daughter, that we're, you know, my daughter I, and I are not very close, but for some reason, God, again, works in mysterious ways, she called. And my daughter's never heard me drunk or anything like that. And she goes, well, how's things going down? I said, well, you know, I've been better. And the next thing I know, there's two paramedics at the house, and I have successfully nailed myself to the bed. <laughs> So uh, they get me out of there, Mission Hospital, the, the whole nine yards. I, I was telling these guys at dinner tonight, or at the house tonight, I, they had me on a suicide watch. And I, 
this poor, this poor guy, I'm lying just in, I, I can't be, begin to tell you how I was feeling, but I'm lying in bed and the, the nurses would change like every, you know, eight hours. Well, this little African guy came in, I mean a real African guy, you know, and he had the heavy accent and everything like that, and I was just lying by the bed, and he reads my chart, it was the first time he'd been in, he reads the chart and he goes, oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so, cut long story short, what happened was that uh, Kent's friend, this guy Mark Brown, came to visit me the next day, and, and I'm lying there, and Mark says to me, he says, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I said, Mark, I have no idea, man. I have no idea at all. I had no will to live. I had nothing. He said, that's good, because I do. And that guy, and the grace, it kind of always gets me choked up. That guy scooped me out. That I had to go to the Latin Academy over in Anaheim for a couple of, with a 5150, with my people. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I spent three days with them and bonded, and then they, they let me out. Um, and I spent the next six months of my life uh, helping people uh, get sober in the program. Um, left there, um, I was beyond, I mean, I was on disability for, I, I, I was completely stooped over, I couldn't, uh, you know, kind of, get, yeah, I was bad. Um, but I, six months later, I, after going to a lot of meetings, you know, I decided that it was time for me to move out of the house, and, and slowly but surely, you know, I, God had a plan for me, and I didn't have any idea what that plan was, you know. I got ran into a guy and said, listen, we got to, we got to do something drastically different than you've done before. Because I had a lot of information about the program Alcoholics Anonymous, but I didn't have the practical application. I didn't have the, the, the desire to get on my hands and knees in the morning, you know, and turn my will and my life over to the care of God. You know, because of my, my, my best shot is, you know, is a bottle of brandy, 180 milligrams of clonip and a nail gun. That's the best that I can do in my life. And my life isn't like that today. My life today is like a, you know, it's like a country and western record in reverse. I get everything back. I get everything back. You know, after, you know, after three years, you know, Catherine and I started dating again, you know. But I was okay. I was, I was okay in the respect that my life had suddenly become enough, you know. And that's what I had been suffering from all these years, you know. I mean, in those years that I was sober, guys used to come up to me and go, how's it going, Bill? And I would go, it's fine. I nearly died of being fine. I nearly died of being fine. Because really what I wanted to do was drop to my knees and grab by the ankles and go, I'm dying over here. And I don't know what's going on. Today, you know, there, there is no, I'm, I'm, I'm a shower prayer. I pray in the shower. You know, I will not leave the house without making my application to God on a daily basis to take care of me. Because of myself, I'm nothing, absolutely nothing. And if you're new in this deal right now, you know, what I gotta tell you is that the program is not for people who want it, it's not for people who need it, it's for people who do it. And I watch my wife, you know, who works a way better program than I do. I help, but you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, a fantastic amount of work, fantastic amount she does with, the, with her gals, you know. I'm surrounded by, by a core bunch of guys that Scotty and I meet, that 
we've got a dear friend of ours that's dying of cancer right now and you know I have to look in the, you know in the eyes of these nurses on a daily basis when they're walking past that room and there's at least four or five guys in there constantly constantly you know and that to me you know is is the program of Alcoholics Anonymous in action you know there's nothing there's nothing that I can't tackle in my life you know as my wife says you know you know, don't tell me how big your problems are. I'll tell you how big my God, my God is in my life. And my God, you know, today, uh, you know, tomorrow we've got a little uh, deal going that, you know, I'm not very happy about, you know, but uh, I'm, uh, my wife's going through a procedure a day hold uh, tomorrow morning. And, um, you know, I turned around to my boss today and I said, hey, listen, I'm not going to be here for a couple of days, you know, because I didn't know, you know, this, you know, this, as much as I appreciate the job, this is second, you know, this is where I need to be, you know, because I know for a fact that there's, no, that there's not enough money, there's not enough, you know, relationship, there's not, you know, where you live or what you drive or anything like that, there's nothing in my life that is enough, nothing because of the way that I'm wired as an alcoholic, nothing, you know. Until I, until I put my hand out to another guy and go, you know what, do what I do. And you will experience, you will experience life as you've never known it before. Never known it before. And that is my experience of it, you know. I'm a total, we, did, we, we suffer from a disease of perception, you know. You know, we get, you know, you know there's a guy coming in from Corner Del Mar and this, that and the other, yada, yada, what have you. Well, that's not who I am. I spent my life my whole life comparing my insights to your outsides. And I was done, you know. Today I don't, do, I, I, I just don't, I don't run on those gates at all, you know. My prayer in the morning is that I can be a little bit better, you know, to the, to, today than I was yesterday. And just make me available for the guy that's, the guy that's putting his hand out, you know, to go, how, do, how does this thing work? And my answer to that is beautiful. This program works like a dream, but there's the work attached to apply these steps, you know. It was funny, and I'll close on this. Uh, back in the day, uh, back in the day, my, my first sponsor was a guy called Alex Fagney, and Alex was a mechanic, you know, and he always analogized the steps as, as tools. You know, this is a toolbox here with 12 drawers in it, right? And, and it seems funny to me today, but he always used to say, be careful how you apply these, uh, apply these tools to your life, because these are power tools. <laughs> you know, little did he know, you know. <laughs> but, that, but, but I know, I, I know in my life today, you know, when I, when I get those, you know, uncomfortable feelings, that I know what draw to, I know, I know what step to go to. You know, I can open up that book and the relief that that uh, book uh, gives me is, it's, it's just a God-given, it's just a God-given thing. And if you're new, you know, it, it took everything you had to get here. And my prayer for is that you stay here and let the miracle happen. Be patient with yourself. You know, and nothing. That's alcoholism in itself is is a very impatient disease. You know, but stay with us, do the work, get a sponsor, work these steps. You got the life in the downhill push. Thanks for my spread.